0: Genesis chapter 19, for some unknown reason, has been one of the most attacked passages in the Old Testament in the last 15 to 20 years. And I believe those of you that know what this chapter is about understand the basic reason why. But it is interesting to me that what is attacked is the actual intent or meaning of very plain statements whereas those very plain statements elsewhere are not attacked they're only attacked here because the inference in this particular passage has to be very clear if you leave this passage unattacked and so there are various groups of liberal theologians and I use the term theologian loosely to just describe someone who discovers and tries to discern the knowledge of God, the science of knowing God, which is what theology is. But as you look at this passage and you compare scripture with scripture, which is what we do here, amen, when you look at what it actually says and you exegete the text, in other words, pull from the text its meaning, then you rightly interpret that, it becomes very clear why the Lord has done what he has done with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so tonight, Lot, a friend of the world. Last time, Abraham, a friend of God. And now we see the difference between living your life as someone whose object of affection is God and someone whose main object of affection is this world. We're going to cover the entirety of the chapter tonight, so bear with me. We'll do everything we can to condense this and make it mostly synoptic. We'll take the the entirety of the chapter, but there's a lot of scripture here, and I want to do it justice before we dig into our questions tonight with Ask the Pastor. And so would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we believe that your word is true Father, we've come to study it and to know what it says, and so we pray that you would speak to us, help us to understand, and most importantly, help us to file this passage in our memory banks as the warning it's intended to be. And so, God, we bless you for your word, the sanctity of it, and we pray that we would now be filled with your spirit as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Genesis 19, and let's take the first 12 verses or so. And now two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, if you remember, Abraham sat at the gate of his tent by his altar. And so here is the difference between one who is not living according to God's plan and one who is living according to God's plan. Abraham dwelt as a sojourner. Abraham dwelt with his altar of, of the Lord before him. And Lot dwells with the world in front of him. It's a very simple thing to see here. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And you may rise up early and go on your way. But they said, no. We will spend the night in the open square. So it's very clear that they came to see what was going on in the city. But he insisted strongly. And so they turned in to him and entered his house. And he made a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And so it's pretty clear that in typical Jewish tradition... Hebrew tradition, though they're not yet known, uh, they would certainly have understood that hospitality that would come. Uh, and so now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to the Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. The intent here is very clear in the original language and we'll dig into this in some detail tonight because I I want you to be armed for when people come to you and they utter something along these lines. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of homosexuality, it was destroyed because of being inhospitable. It is going to become very, very clear to you tonight tonight, that while they were certainly also being inhospitable, that there was a very specific sin that they were trying to engage in, so much so that the entire world to this day views a very specific form of sexual activity, it is known around the world in every language as sodomy. It doesn't matter what language you speak, if you're talking about anal, penetrative sex, and I know that may offend some of you, it is known as sodomy. And so, throughout history, mankind has very clearly understood that Sodom was a place of deep carnality. And so, we want to know them carnally. And so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. And so here's one of the ways that we understand exactly what they were intending to do. It wasn't they were intending to be inhospitable to the men and then be inhospitable to the women. It was very clear that these ladies were being offered to the men for sexual pleasure. So to think that the men weren't actually after that is a little disingenuous to the text. So be very clear on what's being said here. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do with them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And then they said, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting as judge. And now we will deal worse with you than with them. So now they're threatening Lot also with being raped. And so they pressed hard against the door, against the man Lot, And came near to break down the door, and the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. This is one of the most unpleasant scenes in all of the Bible, and I think we have to look at it realistically Because God is very clear about what he thinks about what's going on here. So much so that as we look at this particular situation, we can see that Lot has moved his family directly into harm's way. A passage for you to write down, you can look at it later, is the very first psalm. And it says there, Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not stand in the path with the scornful, and who does not sit with the godless. Lot has done that very thing. Abraham has walked away from sin, Lot has walked with sin. And actually moved into a city filled with it. And so there's a secret here to living your life before the Lord. When this heavenly contingent comes, Abraham was exactly where you would expect to find him. He was at his altar. He was in his tent. He was not in Sodom. He was exercising his faith. Abraham lived as a pilgrim and a stranger. He was passing through this world. Lot had abandoned that view and moved in to exactly where the world was the most prevalent and it doesn 't matter who you are, that is the most dangerous spiritual thing that you can do as a believer in this world is to abandon your tent, abandon living in this world very lightly because this world is actually not your home, your heaven. Heaven is your home. Amen? And so if you get attached to this world and you begin to serve this world and seek after the things of this world, pretty soon you too will move in with the world. You'll end up doing things that you never thought you'd do. Saying things you never thought you'd say. You will walk with people you shouldn't walk with. You will stand with people you shouldn't stand with. Eventually you will sit down and make nice with people that you shouldn't be anywhere near. Because as a believer, you're to have nothing... Hear me well, scripture says, nothing to do with ungodliness. Not a thing. No thing in the life of a believer is supposed to equal godlessness. And so everything that is godless should be a problem for us. We should look at it and go, mm mm, that's not for me. I know the Lord Jesus. This is not how I should live my life. But Lot's going, well, it's not all that bad. I mean, you know, yeah, and you know what? They make the finest bread here in the southern Jordan Valley. I mean, they make some really nice homes down. Have you seen the homes in Saddam? And I'm being somewhat facetious, but think about it for a moment. How many areas of compromise end up in believers' lives because they will not stand for righteousness? They will not dwell in a tent. They want to move in with the world. 1 John chapter 2, a verse that you should all have highlighted. Verses 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world. Is that simple enough for everyone? Don't love the world or the things in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's a plain teaching. God's trying to remind us, look, it's dangerous to have an attraction for the things of the world. And these angels begin to meet with Lot. Lot. God didn't send Lot to Sodom. Lot chose to go there. Very important distinction here. It wasn't like he had no opportunity to be somewhere else. He took the easy route. It's a prosperous place. It's easy money to be made. Lot was a wealthy man. And now his family is in danger because of it. There's a lot of lessons in this chapter. You see, when you really look at this, these different times that they're going through gave them two definite different outlooks because Abraham was walking in the light and Lot was walking in the darkness. The angels only visited Lot because the Lord himself couldn't hang out with Lot. Remember, we saw last time it was the Lord Jesus plus two angels. Jesus is going, I ain't going there. The Lord's not going to join you in your Sodom. You're going to be by yourself. You might have some angels to try and protect you, as Lot does here. But when you make a choice to go someplace that God's told you not to go, when you can see clearly that that's not a place for you to be and you go anyway, You're setting yourself up for some serious disaster in your life. And that comes in all kinds of forms, family. We're going to talk about some of them tonight in our Ask the Pastor segment. See, people very often say to me, well, is it a sin? And you're going to hear me say it again tonight. I will say that's not the question. The question you should be asking is, does it glorify God? Does it make you more useful to the Lord? Is it something that if you engage in it, you grow in the likeness of Christ? You see, you've got to ask the right questions. Because if you're looking for a proof text, very often you're not going to find one that strictly condemns a lot of things. But the majority of the word of God speaks to a life that is to be lived by you and I that is holy and righteous and Christ-like and looks so much like Jesus that other people see you and go, I want to be like that. And so John says, don't love the world. Because everything in the world ultimately is passing away. And this is super important for us. Just like the prophet Isaiah wrote there in Isaiah 59, speaking about his own experience that his iniquities had separated him from God so that God didn't hear his prayers. You know, when you move in with the enemy, your prayer life's going to be hindered, you're, you're going to be tempted in ways that you can't even imagine. We'll dig into a little of this later. But we're to be separated. We're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's the plain teaching of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Yes, it applies to marriage. But it applies to business. It applies to any place where you need to be wed. Lockstep with Someone. We have to be separated unto the Lord. Being a Christian means to be Christ-like. It's what the word actually means. It's amazing to me how many people say, well, I'm a Christian, and then you will confront something in their life that's not in the slightest Christ-like, and they go, well, you're judging me, man. No, your own profession was you're like Christ, but this is not like Christ. All I'm doing is pointing it out to you. Your drunkenness is not okay with God. Your wasting God's resources is not okay with God. There he is. You're being a legalist. No. I'm being a biblicist. I believe that the Bible says what it means and means what it says. And when it speaks to something, that's God's directive to me to do it. I haven't seen a single verse that says, Jeff, if you feel like it, do this. Not one. There isn't anything in there that says, well, you know, on Tuesdays, you get a free pass on all of the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone knows Tuesday is jerk day. You can just be whatever you want to be on Tuesday. No, it's not there. So when someone says, well, you know, if you had the day I had, if you had the day Jesus had, you wouldn't have gone to the cross. Get it? He went all the way. We're supposed to be going all the way. Lot doesn't want to go all the way. He wants to go only as far as he thinks is good. He's setting his own standard. He, he's making his own rules. So what was the sin of Sodom? Was it inhospitable? Or were they just being really rude guests? Because that is the mantra of liberal theology today. I, I've watched programs on national television question this very passage. I want to take you through a little journey here. And I want to take you to the text itself. Back in chapter 18 and in verse 20, their sin is exceedingly grave. There is not a single place in Scripture where God ever punishes anyone for being inhospitable. Not one. It's not a capital crime to be not nice. But there are a number of sexual sins that are capital crimes under the Old Testament law and homosexuality is one of them. So the very grave sin doesn't even fit the text itself if it's just simple inhospitality. Remember also that there were not even ten righteous people in the city That doesn't sound like somebody who's just having a bad day and can't say a few nice things to some guests. A second thing. We're going to see in our study later that Peter actually declares, you see the problem with this is that every single reference to the sin of Sodom in its entirety throughout the Bible, 27 different references Every single time it's given as a byword for gross immorality. A hundred percent of the time. There's not one time where God mentions, you know, those those really inhospitable people in Saddam. Gross, desperate, destitute immorality. Peter made it very clear that those who indulged the flesh in its corrupt desires and despised authority, who were oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men, saw and heard and his righteousness, the righteousness of Lot actually tormented his own soul in the face of the sin of Sodom. That's what Peter says. That doesn't sound like somebody who didn't wash feet to me. The book of Jude calls it gross immorality, calls it strange flesh. The plain meaning of the text itself is clearly sexual sin. And so to say, well, they just weren't nice is to be completely disingenuous about what the text actually says. And as I said, those 27 references, outside of Genesis, it's absolutely emblematic of gross immorality. You piece all that together, and you come up with a couple of cities that had some serious problems with sexual immorality. And it was very clear that that sexual immorality was men having sex with men And it was the same kind of sex that Lot offered up his daughter to men to have. Do the math. It was men attempting to rape other men. It's very simple. It brings about the most extensive judgment in the entire Bible with the exception of the flood of Noah and the book of Revelation. Now, I'm pretty sure I, I, you can look if you'd like, but the New Living Translation, which is a very accurate word-for-word translation, correctly translates verse 5, bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. And in fact, all homosexual sin everywhere in the entire Bible is always called sin of any kind doesn't matter what kind or or variety of it there is. There's a picture in Judges chapter 19. You can mark it down. You can read it later. There's 11 verses there. And it says in verse 30, after speaking about homosexual sin, in verse 22... Bring them out, bring the man out to, of your, your house, so that again we may know him carnally. It says in verse 30, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. That's God's word to Israel during the time of judges regarding men having sex with men. It was an abomination. That term is actually used four different times in Scripture for the sin of Sodom. You you almost wonder what happened to Lot's values. Why? Why would he offer up his own daughters if these men were just being inhospitable? The answer is he wouldn't. It's quite simple. And so he he carries out the only thing that he can do. He says, Look, don't do this to them. So the question becomes Did God make a mistake? Did God overreact? The answer is God doesn't make mistakes. And God never overreacts. So if he obliterated two cities, he did so based on perfect knowledge. I had a young man that spoke to me and it was a very cordial conversation, and he brought this line of reasoning. He said, Well, they were just super discourteous. And I asked him, I said, so you think that God wiped out two whole cities because they were discourteous? Well, yeah, otherwise it has to be that he's against homosexuality. And I said, yep, that's the other answer. And of course, that was what he didn't want to hear. I just said, God can heal that too. God can forgive that too. God can cleanse that from your life as well, just like he can greed and anger, bitterness and hate. But it's hardly a meaningful observation that what's the greater crime? The rape of someone or being inhospitable to them? The textual evidence here, is, frankly, is laughable. It's absurd. The Dead Sea Scrolls happen to contain this particular passage in Hebrew. So from 212 B.C. to this day, this is what God thought. It was a sexual offense. The textual evidence is incontrovertible. And finally, the capital crime. This is a capital crime. Now, where did God say, well, you know, you guys are just mean-spirited, so I'm going to kill you. But there were some things that were so perverse that God said, I cannot let you do this because you will destroy the entire world that you live in if you continue that way. And like it or not, That is exactly what God did in Sodom. It wasn't because they were not good hosts, it was because they were homosexuals and they were perverted and they were trying to rape men. So when somebody comes to you, they say, Well, they were just inhospitable. The burden of proof is on them because the text is plain. No one can pull out any text and disagree with what I just said. They can say it doesn't mean that, but the words themselves say it. I don't think God is a deceiver. And so I believe he told us exactly what he thinks, and then 27 other occasions it In the Bible, he agreed with himself that the sin of homosexuality is an abomination to God. He's not okay with it. Just like he's not okay with adultery, just like he's not okay with immorality of all different kinds. He is not okay with premarital sex. God doesn't like any of these things. And so in this case, a couple of towns paid the price To make sure that we understood that God was serious about this sin. What do we see in the remaining passage? Verse 12 And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? A son in law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. So the angels are now saying, Lot, you need to get out of Dodge. You know, when someone's just not a good host, that isn't generally what you tell them to do. For we will destroy this place because of the outcry against him has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Again, the text is evident. It's almost an absurd discussion to talk about what this actually is, but because so many do, I want you to be armed. The message to Lot was so frightening that he actually acts on it. (laughs) He's like, okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter chapter 2. For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them into darkness and chains. Did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, bringing a flood on the world of the ungodly, turning to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Turned them into ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Making them an example to those afterward who would live ungodly. That's the New Testament on what happened in Sodom. Don't forget that. So When somebody comes, you say, well, no, that isn't what happened. Yes, it is. And the New Testament agrees with the Old Testament. And so the choice is really simple for you and I. Verse 14, look at it with me if you would. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. Do you think Lot believed the Lord? Do you think he was thinking, you know, we really need to do a better job of baking bread? Washing feet? No. He understood very clearly That God meant what he said through these two angels. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. You know why that is? Because the sin was so prevalent in Sodom that everybody thought it was okay. I want you to hear what I just said very clearly. The sin was so prevalent in Sodom that everyone thought it was okay. In Jesus' name, don't let that be us. We need to stand for righteousness. It may be uncomfortable. It may be unpopular. You may have people call you all kinds of things, rant and rave. I, I've been called a homophobe and everything else, and I say I'm not homophobic. I'm agapaphobic. I believe we need to love without reservation, and so I'm afraid of not being unlo- I'm afraid of being unloving. And so what I'm telling you is the truth because God has wiped out a couple of cities for this sin. I don't think he was joking then. He's not joking now. So because I care, because I love you, because I have to tell you the truth, I'm going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. And you can call me whatever you want, but on judgment day, you will be without excuse because I did tell you the truth. Amen? You have to choose between being an influence or being influenced by the world. It's that simple. We also see in this passage something that should scare all of us. Verse 15 to 26. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who were here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. One of the reasons that we have to stand. For the righteousness of God in our world is we can get caught up in what happens to our world because we are still here. Don't think for a moment that there won't be Christians that are going to get caught up in some of the things that are going on in this world if they don't stand. God's removing the righteous, but if you don't make a definitive stand for righteousness, you may find yourself on the periphery of God's judgment. That's why when there is clear biblical narrative, we should have that as our opinion. On every single issue of morality, every single issue of government and social living, all the things that we deal with on a daily basis here in our nation, we should have the same opinion God has. Otherwise, we put ourselves in harm's way. And he lingered and took the men by his hand and his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to them, to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And so it came to pass when they had been brought outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And if you look at the location of Sodom in the southern uh, Jordan Valley, it's at the very end of the Dead Sea. And if you look at where it's at, and and it's mountains both ways. You could have gone to the east, you could have gone to the west. A little bit further if you go to the east than it is to the west, but if they'd simply gone to the west, they'd have been in the mountains in a matter of minutes. And so they were given an easy path to get out. Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've increased your mercy with which you've shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. He was more afraid of wandering in the mountains than he was of God's destruction. Oh, my. Can I tell you, I've met a lot of people like that. They don't believe that God means what he says and says what he means. But they believe they might run out of money. They they believe that they might not be able to make their mortgage payment. And so they're willing to stay right in the midst of all of the destruction, and they'll take their chances with the world instead of believing God. Don't let that be you. See now, this city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Please let me escape there. It's not a little one. And my soul shall live. He's saying, let me compromise a little more. I don't want to go too far. I mean, do you realize how many camels I have here? And I'm reading a little bit into the text. He's basically saying, I don't want to go too far away. Can I just kind of sort of almost get away? Is the inference. There's a lot of people that try and figure out exactly how close they can stay to sin. Very dangerous thing to do. And he said to them, "See, I' favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there, and therefore the name of the city was Zoar. Now Zoar actually is in the mountains. He finally makes the choice to do exactly what he should have done in the first place without hesitation. And the sun had risen upon the earth and Lot entered Zawar. And then the Lord rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. Now I want you to notice, this is God doing this. God takes very seriously the issue of sin and the life of his people. And so he overthrew those cities and all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground, he destroyed the crops, everything. It was uninhabitable. It's still uninhabitable to this day, by the way. It's one of the most inhospitable places on the planet Earth. The only thing that's being done there is they're mining the minerals out of the Dead Sea in that particular region right now. All those expensive cosmetics you ladies like from the Dead Sea, that's where they come from. Saddam. Serious is a heart attack. That's where they come from. A little, serious, little city called Saddam. It's a region. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. God had to take him and drag him forcibly out of there. It's a, it's a picture for us. We need to heed the word of the Lord, family. As Peter would say, it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment that delivered them. There were horrible consequences to a life of compromise. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass that when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. There's the difference between two people right there. Abraham was willing to dwell in a tent and make sure that his altar was always ready. And Lot wanted to live where everything was as good as the world could offer. And so when Lot went out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell there in Zoar. And his two daughters dwelt in the cave. And now his firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. And I want you to see the consequences of sin now. Because you want to know where they learned this stuff? Saddam. Our father is old. There's no man on the earth to come to us as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. And we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. It's exactly what happened to Noah's life, too. So, if you want another example of why consuming alcohol is not a great thing, here's another one in the alcohol hall of shame. Lots. Another one. And so they made their father drink wine that night, and her firstborn went in and lay with her father. And she did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Apparently, she also was drunk. And when it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let's make him drink wine tonight. And also you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of her father. they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The sin of Sodom was so perverse and so pervasive that these young ladies thought that incest was better than what they had seen in Sodom. Oh dear God, save us from being an example like Lot to our children. And notice the names of the firstborn. And ask yourself what kind of grief came to the Jewish people over this. Thus both daughters of Lot were with, father by their, were with child by their father and the firstborn bore a son. His name was Moab and he is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son. His name is Ben-Ami-Ami and he is the father of Ammon to this day, the Amorites. Sin has consequences. Don't ever be tempted to think that it doesn't. Just because God isn't acting on it doesn't mean that it isn't coming. So be careful where you pitch your tent. Always have your altar in view. And if God tells you to get out, get out. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you would continue to move in our midst as we turn our attention to some of these things that are on people's hearts and minds. Would you bless us with your presence by your spirit. Lord, help us to hear from heaven as we tackle some tough things. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.